bit more, but we won't, we'll fudge the 10 years. And I grew up in the Michigan District Assemblies of God, and Jeff was an idol to me. I'll tell you, he led worship at camps, at youth conventions, at a winter blast or whatever they called those winter things. And, uh, and I remember growing in my faith because of Jeff Grinnell. After school, after uh, college for me, all right, Jessica, yes. That's right, Jessica, yes, that's right. <laughs> and so Jessica, of course, knew Jeff as well, was in the Assemblies of God in Michigan District as well. And boy, those are fun times to remember. <laughs> Well, then I graduated in 1998 from Evangel University, ended up at Bethel Christian in Dayton, Ohio, uh, serving under Danny Brown, who was originally from Muskegon. Some of you know him. And, uh, and about three months later, Pastor Brown hired Jeff Grinnell. It was supernatural. It was like sparks and like, I mean, it was awesome. And uh, we worked together for about three years. And then Jeff had a heart to plant and came, and you'll hear about that. And, uh, but, since, but during those three years, I remember some things about Jeff that were just so important in my life. Not only, you know, he led worship this morning. How many appreciated that? Amen? Absolutely. I mean, that's your heart. That's, that's Jeff. I mean, uh, it's, it, we wouldn't have had it any other way. And, uh, and God was good. And, and so my heart for worship. And a part of you ended up inside of me. And as you know, I was able to, one of the highlights of our children's ministry was worship. And not only worship uh, in the state of Ohio, but, but nationally. And uh, it, was, it was incredible what God did, and because you imparted some of that inside of me. I remember the first time you, in, you invited me to speak in front of the youth group at Bethel. And I don't know if you remember how you introduced me. I've shared this story before. But you said something about me that I wasn't at at first, sure that it was true. And then I've endeavored to be what you said. He introduced me as a man of God to our youth group. And, you know, I'm a young kid. I think I was 21, 22 years old. And I'm thinking, a man of God. And I'd never been introduced like that before, but I liked it. And I wanted to be just that. And over these past several years, I've endeavored to be just that, a man of God uh, in my life. And Jeff, you are a man of God. And I want you to challenge us this morning. Talk a little bit about the past. Challenge us in the Word. And as we look forward to the next season of this church, the greatest season it will ever experience, I believe, by faith, um, I'm going to let God use you this morning to do just that. Amen? Let's give Jeff Grinnell a great, awesome welcome. Amen? Yeah, I, I don't throw those words around. I don't know how many people I've introduced that way, but uh, I felt that way. And uh, knowing Ben growing up a little bit and felt like his heart was pure. And uh, that's a great place to start. So, uh, wow. <laughs> um, I asked uh, a, couple of the guy, a couple of the guys who've been around here for a while, just a few minutes ago, what is your greatest memory in this room? And uh, I, the first thing that came to my mind, being a little more spiritual, was um, that, that some prayer meetings that we had in here that, uh, that were just really 
to me, it's the backbone of the church anyway. But both of them said the same thing. They said, our outreach, our Halloween outreach called Reaper's House, because this did not look <laughs> anything like this room here. Um, I think in the DNA of this church from the very beginning was a heart for this community. The, um, the background behind what you're sitting in today was um, something that decades ago was planted um, by uh, families who wanted to see revival on the lakeshore. And as that transition um, transitioned into a uh, leadership following, there were some struggles in the church. And um, about eight or ten months before we got here, 2001, the church was closed and basically uh, disbanded. There was no pastor. And um, Jane and I had been praying for years about the possibility of planting a church. And a couple of cities had caught our heart, but through the providence of God, uh, I shared a little bit with the men yesterday, um, we felt like this is where we were to come. And when we did, it was the community that really drew us. Uh, when I, when my son and I walked in to the high school uh, in July of 2001, before we even committed to come here, walked into the school and my old high school basketball coach was the varsity basketball coach and invited me on the coaching staff on the spot. And what he didn't know, I shared with him later, what he didn't realize, Coach Taylor um, and Coach Hewitt followed him, but Coach Taylor had no idea that the future of this church depended upon me as the pastor of the church in a couple of months, you know, in, in end of August, 1st of September, we moved here. He didn't realize how he was used by God to change the taste of this church in the community because of uh, some things that happened in the church and uh, the connection between the community. And so over the course of those next five years, um, I really was probably known in the community more as coach. And uh, I think that had a hand in changing what we were going to do through the next few years. So... Um, Anyway, let me give you some background and kind of help you out this morning. Um, ten years ago when we came here, my wife and I, um, was the weekend of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. In the previous 13 years as a youth pastor and then five years traveling as a youth specialist, we had a dream to one day plant a church. Our children were in elementary, two of them, and middle school when we arrived in our apartment uh, with no promise of an income and no family insurance. Um, at this time in America, there were only about 300 existing church plants in, at the turn of the century, right around 2000. There were only about 300 existing church plants in America. Today, um, over 4,000 churches are planted 
annually. You get the exponential growth. Our passion was to see a movement swell up in, in western Michigan to reach the youth of this community. Um, and there were not many people attempting to do that. And, and I know things change and visions change, but that's where we began. And the core of our being was, uh, was a ministry to young people. Um, so we pioneered this church, took over the building that the district had, um, closed down, gave me the key. I, I received the keys from the district office um, <laughs> and began to go to work on that place. And, of course, it's not here today. We sold that, and that was a major part of, uh, has been a major part of the foundation financially for the future. I moved to North Central um, University shortly. Uh, we were here five years. Um, I'm not a long-term pastor. Anybody that knows me knows that. I'm a builder and a starter. And so I, I'm now at North Central University in Minneapolis. I teach in the church leadership department the youth majors, youth development majors who are parachurch or community uh, students, and then also in the church leadership and um, executive mentoring area. I also travel in the summer and speak at youth camps and conventions. I do about eight to ten youth camps every summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a whole nother um, personality, though. Um, this weekend, as... Pastor Vey and you are celebrating the 10-year anniversary here. You are enjoying, from what I can see in my days, just my couple of days here, spiritual health and financial vitality that um, I think is a beautiful thing. Are there more things that we want to see happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as an autonomous church with steady attendance and great, uh, a great temporary location with plans, um, giving almost 50000 to missions, or maybe plus to missions, that's a pretty good first decade. Do you realize that there are a lot of churches who in the first decade of their existence do not even last? About 43%. Of churches are, that are begun do not even last, almost 50%. Most um, church growth specialists from church plants that start from scratch, not from churches that are mothered. There's a, there's a plus there when you have an overseeing body and board and finances and resources. and um, The statistics are much better in that setting. But in church plants, almost 50%, 43% of churches don't even last. And most church growth specialists will tell you that in the decade to follow, after the initial vision and the influx and the loss and the, and the change, because when you turn a light on, sometimes the people that come are not going to be there forever. They're builders too. Pioneers. And... We are people. Things happen and uh, decisions are, are made and transitions take place. But in the next 10 years, do you realize that these are the most important years, the second decade of a church plant? I, you read church specialists and they will tell you that. 
and I get the inch off theory where if you've got a vision and in the first few years you've got to stay on that vision or you're really off or we may need mid-course correction and all that, that that's, all, that's all wonderful. But it is the second decade, to be honest, the first two years of the second decade that most church growth specialists will say are the key years of a church, 10, 11, and 12. It's with that in mind that I... I want to kind of move away from the past. There's so many stories, man. I, I really would love to tell you some great impact moments that we've had here. Um, but that's, that's not what this morning is about. Um, I want to preach to you part of the original message that I preached when I came here on Sunday number one. And I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 31. I am not a long-winded preacher, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> I hear some laughs, but um, yeah. Um, this message, I believe, is a call to impact our communities and to shape our cultures with two things in mind. Two things in mind. First, a movement of prayer and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, this message is a call to develop in you a willingness to father this generation, to impact this, to shape this generation of young people who are living within the shadow of this church. Um, in Jeremiah 31, we're going to begin at verse 31. This is a new covenant that God gave to the people. Jeremiah was one of the younger prophets of the major prophets. Jeremiah, maybe you've heard, was called a weeping prophet. Much of what he wept about was the condition of the nation of Israel at his time. And so God raised him up to speak into this generation. And generally his message was geared toward the young. And you'll see that even in our text. Look at verse 31. Let's begin there. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. So God sets it up with, with Jeremiah, and he says immediately, this covenant is not necessarily about your fathers and your mothers, and those who've come before you. Because we can't live in that moment any longer. And so much of, a, so much of what we do in the church is posterity and memories. And God's wanting to see a new thing take place. You go on and we read the rest of that, that text. In verse 33 it says, but this is the covenant, you see the turn, not like it was with your fathers, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, come to the Lord, know Jehovah. No more will we need to teach that because, he says, for they shall all know me. Let's look at from the least of them 
to the greatest. And it's almost as if God were saying, Jeremiah, look around you. See the condition of of the nation of Israel. See the condition, if we could symbolically, of the church in America. See it. And prophetically speak to her that what we don't need is what we've had. If we continue doing the things that we've always done, we will get the things that we've always got. Right? And God literally is saying to Jeremiah, he's telling him, look at what's going on and tell the people, that's great, but, but don't hit your to the past. And we get so many emotional attachments and so many um, environmental attachments to the past that we forget about this new thing. And so God speaks to Jeremiah, and literally what he says to him is, I want you to, to speak into your culture and your people around you a new thing from the least of them to the greatest. You see that? That process? From the least of them to the greatest. Listen, God does not always start his greatest move in the largest of places. He begins them often in the most obscure. Now, it would be interesting if he did choose to do something the opposite. Grandiose. But it does not always work that way. I mean, it would be easy if, could you imagine 10 families, 10 families that God would touch this week to show up here, 30, 40 people, to show up here next week. Some of them, their marriage is a mess, their kids are rebellious, and they don't understand the gospel. And they want counseling and a support system. That would be easy. Can you imagine a prostitute from Muskegon? who shows up with their five-year-old to ask for help with the rent and food for the week. What would we do if your neighbor came to your home uh, next Saturday and said, we notice that you go to church every morning. We would like to go with you tomorrow. Can you imagine what would happen if somebody showed up next Sunday and wanted to get involved in a small group or come to a prayer meeting or attend uh, an event at the church And we're not even going. Could we handle the 20 youth who decided they were sick of their lives, heard about our church, and started coming to everything the youth offered? Would the church youth here become jealous of losing time with the youth pastor or even their place on the worship team because another drummer came in? What if five people came to church next week so moved by God as intercessors here on the lakeshore and believe that God was God were calling them to this church. How many of us would be at the next organized prayer meeting? What if God chose to move that way? Those are the kind of things we want to see happen. It certainly would be easier because we wouldn't have to get out of our comfort zones as a Christian. We would not have to pray for their salvation or invite them to church or go out of our way to serve them in our neighborhood or even witness at school or invite our friends to the youth group. We wouldn't have to do that because God would. And the whole time God is scratching his head, watching how we build the church, and we're saying, God, move, God, God, move. 
Lord, we want you to move in our community. And God's saying, I am moving, you move. Usually in Scripture, as seen in 1 Peter 4, 17, God begins with us. Jesus knew basic to the success of the kingdom was the church. He has no other plan. The very place he was recruiting people to come is the very place that will operate in ministry. Often you hear people say things like, Pastor, uh, do the work of the ministry. We, we pay you to visit. We pay you to put programs together. We pay you to turn the lights on, open the door, close the door. We pay you to do funerals and, we and, and weddings. Do you realize that's not true? Most healthy believers understand that. You don't pay him to do any of those things. You pay him to get you to do it. Wow, that's a, you could say that again. You could say, I didn't think I'd get a big amen on that one. But that's how the church operates. It really does. And to change that pattern and make a shift there in the Western church is probably not going to happen. But there are places, every couple of weeks, I'm in a different city in America. And there are places I could tell you stories about people when you walk into the building who are falling over each other to serve. And if forgotten hurts, even the one that happened last week, I mean, we're, listen, we're all human. We're going to hurt. Pastor's going to hurt you and you're going to hurt him. So what? Let's just move on. And I think God wants, needs to begin in the church. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Here first. Let me ask you some questions. In the first messages that I preached at this church in the month of September 2001, I asked these three questions to the congregation. Of... My family of five, um, about seven individuals from the church. The first week, the district came, the district office staff came, and we had about 14 or 15. And then we grew from there to about 12 the second week. Seven that were kind of hanging. As a matter of fact, I, I want to say hello to Jen Gorton in the back. She was here when we came here. Young lady, she lives in Zealand now. Rich Lovell, and I, yeah, Rich is out of town. I think those were the two, along with a few, other, a couple of other people that were there that first week. I did notice on the badges a few ten years, nine and a half year people. But these were these three questions. I pulled my message up. Are the questions that I asked us, and I realized I was asking this question um, prophetically. Is God attracted to us as a people? Not the community first. Is God attracted? Does God even want to be here? Is there joy and energy in this place? Second question. Can you find God here at the gateway? First, do we attract him? And then secondly, can you find him here? Or is he covered up by pageantry and everything else? Is there a passion in our worship? 
And then finally, are we developing our prayer and intercession? Listen, there are many great ways to build a church. Hear me. Marketing, building, spiritual leadership, excellence in programming, fresh models of ministry that God would give people. These are great principles. But hear me. The greatest way to build a church is prayer. And I know there are churches all over the globe who have grown without prayer. But can you imagine what would happen in those settings if prayer and intercession were the greatest marketing tool or spiritual growth? And out of those questions this past couple of weeks, God has given me two challenges for you. And I'm, I won't be much, I'm, I'm more than halfway through the message, okay? If you're wondering. I saw, I saw people check their watch, so now you can figure it out, right? I won't be much longer. My first challenge to you in the next decade for this church, as you begin this new season, is to see a movement of prayer and the Holy Spirit. There's an unforgotten God in America. Francis Chan has made this popular in his latest book, Unforgotten, The Unforgotten God. I, I, I stress to you, Pastor and I talked about this before the service, please pick this book up, e-book it or something, and read through The Unforgotten God. Just a couple of hundred pages. I don't even know if it's that long. And he talks about the lost presence of the Holy Spirit in, in, in the West. You know, the big difference between the church here in the West and the church in the East is the Trinity. We've forgotten about the Holy Spirit. We've called the Holy Spirit an it or a movement or, right? The Holy Spirit is God. Sadly, most believers, listen, Sadly, most believers do not even realize that the Holy Spirit is not alive in their church. Look what we've done without God in America. Think about it. Look what we've done without God in America. And what's worse is that we're almost okay with that. We need a return to the Holy Spirit as the Bible describes him and invites him into our daily lives to embrace and to follow the voice of the Spirit on a daily basis. The best place that you can build the church is after the service, after this meeting. I've, I work with um, FCA, Fellowship, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I'm one of the directors in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, working with the national organization very closely. And this parachurch organization is set up to reach student athletes in public schools. We, over the last six years, um, about five and a half years since we moved to Minneapolis, I've been leading uh, two different groups in two different high schools on a biweekly basis. It is something that is, uh, it's a regular part of my life to be with um, interdenominational Christians. And one of the things that has driven me um, in this, with this FCA program is 
to teach a new generation who the Holy Spirit is. And do you know that they have no clue? Most of your friends who are unchurched or de-churched or uh, nominal, nominally committed to Christ in the church have no accurate understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And we don't have time to do that, but I, I want to challenge you to a greater understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. I want you to see a table in the middle of a front room of a huge two-story home. And there's a candle on that table that is lit, and its fragrance is filling the home on every level. All the windows of that home are closed, and the candle has filled the home with a sweet aroma into every room. If you were to walk into this two-story home, you would walk in, close the door, and you could smell this aroma. This is a picture of the church in our culture. But I want you to see the rest of this illustration. As the windows are flung open and the doors swung wide, notice the aroma that moves outside of the home, down the steps, into the front yard, and ultimately into the community around it. And that fragrance and that aroma begins to go through the neighborhood and the other homes and yards near it. This is a picture of the church in Scripture. The difference between culture and Scripture is vast. And I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who shortens the gap between the two. Reality and Scripture. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person who wants an intimate relationship with the church. One of the characteristic uh, traits of the fastest growing churches in America, um, every spring, one of my courses, Contemporary Pastoral Techniques, does a study on the top 25 churches in America, uh, fastest growing churches, and then in the fall, we do a study on the largest churches, the top 25 interdenominationally in America. One of the characteristic traits of the fastest growing churches is prayer. Now, hear me, two decades ago, that wasn't true. It was the postmodern emerging mindset. New letterhead, new signs, jeans, and no more ties. It was that movement that began this thrust of growth in the church. But do you know today, of the top 25 largest churches, only seven of them are postmodern or emerging. The others are classic. And are seeing an explosion of intercession and prayer in their churches. And that's just the Western church. That's not the global church. And I'm not just talking about the women of the church. But men who are driven by God to walk out their spiritual commitment in their families, at work in the community, and in the church. I believe the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of the church, asking for permission to architect a unique plan for each church. The DNA of the church is the Holy Spirit's mark on them. It's like the Holy Spirit's name 
upon that church. It's unique. I remember the story of Alexander the Great. He was one of the great warriors, generals in history. And Alexander the Great was walking through his camp one evening. And they were set up to rest for two days in this setting. And as was the custom of the army, several of them uh, were up all night to watch. They were watchmen. And they were to guard the camp against those who were coming against it. And as he was walking through the camp, he noticed one of the watchmen who had fallen asleep and was sitting on the ground, leaning up against one of the tent pegs, his, his weapon to his side. And Alexander the Great walked up and kind of kicked the boots of this young soldier. And the young soldier um, shook his head, looked up and saw his commanding general standing in front of him, realizing that he could lose his life in this moment. Falling asleep on guard duty brought a penalty of death. And so Alexander the Great simply looked at the young man and grabbed him by his, his, jersey, his uniform and picked him up and put him right in front of his face and the young man could not look at him. And Alexander the Great said to him, what is your name? The young soldier said sheepishly, Alexander, sir. Shook, Alexander the Great said to him again, what is your name? And the young soldier said again, sheepishly, Alexander. Alexander the Great took that soldier's chin and lifted it up and looked him right in the eyes and said, what is your name? And the young soldier, fearing for his life, said, Alexander. That general looked the young soldier straight in his eyes and said these words. Then either change your name or live to honor it. And allowed him to live. We in the church have a DNA set in us. It is the name of Christ. It is the name of Jesus. It is, our DNA. It is who we are. And I believe that the role of the Holy Spirit is to come into our lives, open up the windows, and to see the fragrance of this candle, the Spirit of God, flow through us into this community and begin to act exactly like Him. My second and final point this morning and challenge to you is that God would, through prayer and the power of His Holy Spirit, Bring a willingness to shape youth, to shape a youth movement here on the lakeshore. Now, I realize this is not my church, and I, and I struggled with this, Pastor Ben, I, even as of let, early this morning finishing this message. I, I want to lay this before you, not as the pastor of this church, but this is, my, this is my heart, and I pray that you will see that what's happening in America today, this is an elementary principle to church growth. Our text emphasizes not only a relationship with the Holy Spirit, this new covenant, placing His Spirit within you, but the emphasis after that in verse 34 is from the least of them to the greatest. And I want to suggest to you that, that process-wise, 
We, we, we have forgotten the least. And we skip to the greatest, to the tithers, to the general church members who've been here uh, the, the most. And hear me, hear me. This, I am not against age or uh, mature believers. Hear me, that, that, that's not where this is coming from. I'm talking about a spirit. Some of the most aggressive Hear me, some of the most aggressive, spiritually minded young people I've met are over the age of 60. Most of the historical revivals in America were started through youth prayer meetings. Do you realize that? Most of the denominations in America, the mainline denominations, were begun in universities in the East by young people whose universities were Bible uh, training grounds, ministry training grounds who were being sold over to postmodernism. And in the loss of that, uh, ministry training moved to marketplace. And part of the loss of revival in America was moving from ministry to marketplace and not symbiotically using both of them together to be a minister in the marketplace. But there was this separation. Listen. A supernatural return to youth and prayer is taking place in America. This video that we showed at the very beginning was put together in 2007, four years ago, by 24-7 prayer houses in Kansas City, calling young people back to prayer. I've been there. I've walked in their prayer rooms where literally hundreds of young people are praying around the clock. I wish I had the time to tell you about the chapel services that are going on in our, at our campus this week. We have chapel five days a week at our university. I, if you could see 12, 13 1,400 young people worshiping and in prayer and intercession for an hour to 90 minutes every day, it would excite you that these are the people who are going to lead the church in the next generation. This past summer, I did a study in all of the camps that I traveled to, eight separate camps this summer, and then uh, National Fine Arts was my ninth weekend recruiting for the school in Phoenix, Arizona. In the eight camps that I attended this summer, I did a survey to the junior high and high school students at each of these camps. I'm going to tell you about this survey. The questions were, if you could run the church today, what would you do? What would you do different? What would you keep, et cetera? I'm going to give you their answers. This is not me. This is the young teenagers in America. These are the committed teenagers who are at camp who are the strength and the core of their youth ministries. This is what they're saying. Five statements. Number one, church is not exciting. Number two, church is not answering the questions that we are asking. They've got all the answers for questions we aren't asking. I've not edited the, this. Is a, these are the top five answers that I heard over and over from students. 
Number three, we want to play. We want to have fun. We want the kingdom of God to be fun. I know most of us think, you know, prayer, you know, preaching of the word of God. They want to play. They want to come to church and they want to play. They want to have fun. And is there anything wrong with that? Four. Why, and you would probably hear this from them. Why is the music in the church so boring? And unlike mine, almost every teenager said that. Why is, I had to throw that in there because you knew that was coming. And then finally, I want to see my senior pastor and my youth pastor at my school and in my community. The stories are flooding through my mind that I won't go to. Hear me. The church, most youth ministries are standing at the door of the church asking the young people to come in. And the young people are standing at the door of their schools saying, would you come and visit me? I hear so often when I talk to youth pastors across this country, my school is closed and I can't get it. No, there's no such thing as a closed school in America. There isn't. Now, you may not be able to go into lunch and pass pizza out and throw Bibles out at lunch. I produce a sheet of 100 ways to get on campus, and I give it to my youth majors every fall. 100 ways to get on campus. There are so many ways. It's all about passion. And am I going to meet them there? What are we willing to do to reach young people? Programs, finances, staffing, taking risks? I want you to stand this morning all across this place. Spirit of God, I ask for your presence and your power to fill this church this morning. The need is great to see a revolution or a shift. Uh, much like Jeremiah has called for. And, and Lord, I pray that through this text, I pray that through the words of the Spirit of God through Jeremiah, that you will drop these two simple principles into this place. And allow pastor to use them as he leads this body. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for this place. And I ask, as we, as we close and move in prayer, for you to do what, man, what we cannot do as leaders.
I want to ask for pastor and the staff and elders and deacons, anybody in, um, in, in the ministry, spiritual leadership of the church to come. Would you come forward, please? And just stand across the whole, yeah, pastor, if you and, yeah, would be in the center. And then the rest of the church come, uh, spiritual leaders, would you come? I want to leave you with one more challenge this morning. Are our wives here too? Yeah, can you bring the wives too if they're here? Hopefully I didn't put them on the spot if one's in the nursery or gone today. But I want to leave you with one more challenge this morning. It is the challenge of unity and submission. Hear me, God blesses people under authority. One of the things that I've learned over the last few years, I wish I would have learned earlier in my life, although this principle was taught to me, you have to grow in it. I'm a bit of a pioneer anyway and have this stallion in me. But the one thing that I've learned over the last five years is that God blesses people who are under authority and submission. Psalm 133, the epistles of Paul, and some great references of Christ urge for unity and authority. Unity with authority. One of the great miracles of Christ happened because of the understanding of submission to authority. It's true. With this staff up here, I want us to pray for them as a body. We're going to pray three ways. We're going to pray for pastor, for his leaders that are here. And there are, I know there are others of you here too, but um, to keep this as spiritually minded with the spiritual leadership as, as, uh, as possible, we're going to keep this smaller. But then we're going to pray for you also. And, you, and, and hear me, the spiritual gift of following. There are ones and twos in leadership. A one is a leader, a two is a follower. We need them both. But twos shouldn't be leading and ones shouldn't be following. And so I want to pray. And if we could, I want everyone in the building to just extend your hands to Pastor Ben and Jessica. Will you do that? We pray for about 60 seconds right now. Just begin to pray for them. Pray for Pastor and his discipline. Pray for Pastor in their marriage. Pray for Pastor and the children for his recreation, for his hearing, for his humility. Come on, pray for them. Just a few more seconds. God, I pray, I pray for... Um, strength. I pray for vision. 
I pray for consistency. I pray for faith. Lord, one of the things I struggled with as a young leader was faith. When to step out, when to go for it. God, grant him faith to walk in the Spirit. I pray that he will listen to the Spirit. And he will be a man full of the Spirit. I pray, Lord, secondly, that you would give him a passion for young people. Lord, that can't be hired out. He cannot hire out a passion for young people. God, give him a love for the young, for the least. Give him a young for the, a pastor's heart for the young, I pray. I ask this, Lord. God, for Jessica, I pray that you will give, that you will help her with the anointing that rests upon her in this church to speak to the women of this church, to speak into the lives of the children of this church, to comfort her husband and to serve her husband. And and Lord, to carry a, a specific mantle of prayer for this church that is only unique to to the woman, a pastor's wife. It is unique. I pray blessing into their life, Lord. I pray blessings into Ben and Jessica's life. And Logan and Reagan, God, I pray blessings into them. Safety, security, protection. Holy Spirit, put your name over them. We pray. God, if I can't pray blessings on my pastor, I can't follow him. I pray blessings over them. And now we pray, will you extend your prayers now to these spiritual leaders too? I want everyone in here to begin to pray for these spiritual leaders. These same concepts. I want you to pray that God would give them a a hearing, a listening heart to hear the Holy Spirit and radically be obedient to what the Spirit is saying. Speak through, speak to them, Lord. God, give them insights. Give them insights. I I pray, God, that you will grant to them each of the things that we prayed for Pastor and his family. We We pray that you would give them a listening ear and obedient heart to the Holy Spirit. That you would give them a passion for young people. Lord, when they sit and and they lead and they delegate and they plan and they budget, I pray that you would bring to their minds, how are we going to reach young people? Please, God. Lord, protect them. Provide for them. Bless them. I pray them to walk in unity and commitment to each other, to this pastor and what you speak to him. Please, God, spiritual leadership, spiritual authority. And now we pray as leaders for the congregation for followers. Lord, I know there are leaders in this congregation too, but 
Lord, it is, it is their role to follow the spiritual direction and vision of this, or it's not going to work. Lord, I, I ask for the willingness to serve. And, and God, it begins with serving these people. Yes, serving our spiritual leaders, but then our community. Lord, I pray that, there, that people will be that people will be so ready to sign up for volunteerism and, and serving that the gift of hospitality would be spread through this place. Lord, I pray for hearts. Listen, I've had this heart before sitting in a congregation. I pray for hearts that are, that are doubting and that are questioning to simply trust yeah, there's another way to do it. Of course, there are 10 other ways to do it, but we're not doing it that way. God, let that, let that be rested in the heart of people who are struggling with commitment, Lord. Lord, for the dear people who are here serving like everyone else and they're not being paid, God, bless their gift, extend their gift. Lord, look them in the eye and thank them tonight. When they put their head on their pillow tonight, embrace them. Lord, I pray for them, for the ability to listen to the Holy Spirit and to be obedient. That we would not ask why, but we would ask how. God, how? What do you, how? Lord, I pray for a passion for the young people, for the fatherless in this community. I know there are, there are hundreds. There, at one point, were about 6,000 junior high and high school, not even elementary age, junior high and high school students on the lakeshore here who were not attending a youth group 10 years ago. I don't know if it's, I doubt that's changed. If anything, it's increased. 6,000. Now, I realize not all of them are coming to this church, Lord, but what percentage need to. There are plenty of young people for us to serve. God, set into this body this simple principle from, from Jeremiah's writing in words in chapter 31, I pray. Set these simple principles into, the, into this body, I pray. And bless them them. Praise the Lord. Praise him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jeff. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Can I just say um, from my heart and from my family, thank you for your commitment to this place. Um, we pray for you. I, I've t I told Pastor, I don't pray for you every week, but almost every single week, we still pray for this body, not even knowing who you are. And, and that, will, that will continue. Amen. Bless you. Hallelujah. You can be seated for a moment as we, in these final concluding moments, Jeff, I appreciate your challenge this morning for a prayer 
movement, a Holy Spirit movement, a Holy Spirit touch. That's what we need. And then a concentration on youth and kids like we've never seen before. On, what, on Thursday night, Jeff, you don't know this, I shared with our board, and I think this is word for word, I said, I said this, a strong children's ministry and a strong youth ministry will grow a church. And I believe that with all my heart. And I appreciate your obedience to, to share just that. And as I look at our future, oh, I'm excited. I thank you, Jeff, for coming to Grand Haven to plant this church. Leaving Dayton, Ohio, where we work together to come here, and in God's providence, five years later, that Jessica and I and my family would be here. As many of you know, those, these first five years have been difficult, but God is moving and helping us. And I believe the next five years, we kind of were talking about this yesterday, that we kind of got five, another five, and Lord, what is this next five going to look like? And believing that it's the greatest fruitfulness and, uh, and greatest uh, potential. And that's going to come out of prayer, out of radical obedience to God, listening to the voice of God. It's going to come out of sacrifice, out of commitment and out of these things, there's going to be fruitfulness that will last. Lives will be changed. Yesterday with the men, we talked about the fact that he who wins souls is wise. And this is going to be a place where people will find Jesus. Young people, old people. And God is going to help us. And we believe that. We believe that. We believe that. One of the keys to that, as we've been praying and even planning on this weekend, and we're going to take a chance here and, uh, to receive an offering this morning. We want to, as we close. But I want to encourage us that one of the keys to our future is the body of Christ working together, caring for one another, bearing each other's burdens together. And it's become a hallmark of the Gateway Church, not from Jeff, but really come from, from the heart of the people here in my heart, is that in December, we have done something the past several years that we've called the Barnabas Project. And many of you are new this year uh, with us and uh, just growing with us. And I want to explain what the heart behind it is. And at this point, Jeff and uh, Dave, if you could pass these out, we want every single person to have one of these in your hand uh, right now. And so you guys can pass those out, and that will be helpful. And what it is, and Eric, you're doing a great job. Keep it up, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> is that we want to follow a model from Acts chapter 2 where the early church cared for one another to the extent that they would sell each other, sell their own property um, to provide for the needs of the body. And one of the things that was big on our heart a few years ago and every December we've been able to highlight again is the fact that we as a body of believers we need to care for one another and invest in each other and, uh, and we do that through receiving what are the needs that the body has and so I want everyone this morning to consider saying okay what is the need that I have in my life and it could be certainly spiritual need. It could be a financial need. It could be a practical need. You know, I need a, a repair in my car or my, my tires are, 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 are worn out. 
It could be, I, I need a refrigerator or a, a piece of furniture, or I need, I need someone to come alongside me as I raise my kids. Or We want you to explain the need that you have in your life. Could be practical, could be financial, could be, yeah, I, I'm behind in rent, it's, or I'm behind uh, with my utilities. Uh, whatever the case might be. And we're going to collect these, and we are going to believe together that the body together is going, we are going to make a difference in the lives of the people here, caring one for another. Because there was something about the early church, Jeff, that we've reflected in Acts chapter 2, that as they did that, the Lord blessed them and helped them. And the church grew because they cared and, and people were drawn to that. People were being saved because of, of the community. And just last week, and I wish he was here today, Alvin Mockerman, and Jeff, you know, you remember Alvin for years and years from uh, Grand Rapids days and then it was here when you were here. He was sharing with me his heart for our uh, part of our future being that the church would be a safe haven a place of resource for our community as the, as the uh, political and the financial arenas of our country and of our state and of our city uh, are, are, um, are being affected, that the church would be ready to meet the needs beyond. And uh, I was taken in my, in my uh, encouragement or in my study about that when I started to believe, God, Lord, what would you have us to do? How could we be ready I was taken to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to read this as we close. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthians church. And uh, like Jeff said, you know, he's a short preacher. Um, I'm just going to preach here for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. And I would say that we want to be known by the grace that God has given the Gateway Church. Out of the most severe trial, their outflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What God is going to do is we, we ask for the needs that are in your life through the Barnabas Project to list those. Every single family to turn in, say, this is what I'm believing God for. I need a new car. I need, I, I need uh, find, or, uh, a relationship to be restored. My, my son is away. I'm praying for his salvation. Whatever the case might be, we turn those in. But then we, in, in, uh, on the second side is we ask every family to give. We will list these, the ones that are appropriate, the ones that are not confidential. We will list those and have those for you to be praying about what you can do to bless someone else in this church. It is exciting. Many of you have been a part of this before. And listen to it. It says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. And that's what we're talking about, in the service to the saints. And they did not do it as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a, uh, made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you ex excel in, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, and then this is the key, see that we also excel in the grace of giving. 
And that's what we're calling the church to do. And we do that through benevolence. On your uh, um, information cards or your uh, giving envelopes, there are some places that we want to utilize this season. Every family, we're asking that you would make a commitment to give to benevolence this season. Or you respond to the needs that will be listed. Because as we share our need, as we bear each other's burdens together, I believe that every need will be met in Jesus' name. Amen? And to me, that is an exciting part of who we are, of, of what God has for us. And uh, that is exciting. The other thing that I want to just highlight on here is that the building fund. Uh, th there's a place on, our, on these envelopes for that. And we have never asked for a, a penny uh, in the five years that I've been here to, uh, to give towards building. But let me say that we are working diligently. Jeff made slight reference to it of a plan, a strategic plan. We call it a master plan uh, where we look at the needs of our body. We talk with the nursery and we talk with the preschool and we talk with the kids and the youth and, and uh, the worship ministry saying, what are the needs for us next? We put that together and we're able to share that uh, and to have an idea of what it's going to take to take us to the next level. We know that this facility is rented, that we are, we're experiencing God's favor, but this is not our permanent home. And we believe in the next five years, by God's grace, we will be able to transition, raise the funds to do that, and we can give in that way. And so God help us in all of these things. And so I'm going to ask that the ushers would come at this point, and I'm going to ask that, that you would give this morning, that you would not only respond to re, uh, uh, giving us the needs so we can be praying and we can partner together, but that also that we would give generously, this season, excelling in giving, excel in the grace of giving. And as we do, we know that God brings that back and he will help us in the next season of our church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your heart for this body. And thank you, God, that you have uh, brought Jeff back to to inject into us, to revive some of those early embers of reaching the youth and the children of the lakeshore. And God, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. It would ignite a flame inside of us once again. And Lord, I pray also, God, that, that a spirit of prayer and of the Holy Spirit movement would be characteristic of our people. That our Wednesday nights, what God of prayer would grow. That your hand would be upon us, God, as we meet together and seek your face. Lord, that you would help us. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. Eric, I don't know if you want to leave me in a song. Do it. That'd be awesome. Things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in the city.
God, we believe this morning, God. We believe in Lord. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in the city. Yeah. We believe that greater 